Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello again, it's Matt Gorley. This is I Was There Too, the podcast where I talk to people who were there in the great scenes of cinema history. My guest today is DC Pearson, a writer and comedian who played the Apple Store employee who helps and potentially hinders Captain America and the Black Widow on their rogue quest for information. I've actually wanted to feature someone from one of these current day tentpole superhero blockbusters because I feel like that must be a unique experience. I also like that it could be Captain America the Winter Soldier because it echoes one of my favorite genres. In fact, Marvel mastermind himself, Kevin Feig, describes the film as a 1970s political thriller masquerading as a big superhero movie, with homages to films like Clute, The Parallax View, Three Days of the Condor, and All the President's Men. If you end up watching the film for this podcast, or listening to this podcast because you watched the film, who am I to say how time works? Something fun to look for is Captain America's notebook in the beginning of the movie. He's got a list of things he needs to understand the cultural ramifications of in this new future reality. So some of which are I Love Lucy, Moon Landing, Berlin Wall, Steve Jobs, Disco, Star Wars slash Star Trek. Star Wars is crossed out, implying that he's already seen it the band Nirvana, and the movie Rocky. But then that changes for all the international editions of this film. So in Russia, Moon Landing becomes Yuri Gagarin, and the UK has the Beatles in the list, though you could argue that that should be in every list, and Sean Connery, well done. South Korea has Old Boy on it, France has Daft Punk listed, Italy has Roberto Benigni, and then I start to realize that these are all things Americans see as distinct to the different countries, but probably not the countries themselves, because also Mexico has Shakira, Brazil gets Shusha, and Australia has something called Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. But important to mention is that all of them have Thai food listed, and I think we can all agree on that. Now let's connect last episode's guest to this episode... Jeanette Goldstein from Aliens, who, by the way, <laughs> was just hands down one of my favorite guests, and I'll go farther and say people. We had to take a photo at the end of the uh, interview so that we could post some of those on the website page, and I asked if we could do one where we're both holding the grenade like she did with Gorman at the end of Aliens, and the camera wouldn't work, so we were just sitting there staring into each other's eyes for 90 seconds, and if you think that doesn't bond two colonial marines together, you're mistaken. Right, Vasquez? All right. Jeanette Goldstein to Sigourney Weaver in Aliens. Sigourney Weaver to Bill Murray in Ghostbusters. Bill Murray to Scarlett Johansson in Lost in Translation. Scarlett Johansson to D.C. Pearson in Captain America, Winter Soldier. So this episode is generally just an interview. There is a segment at the end where I'm going to play a teaser from Paul F. Tompkins' exciting new podcast, but DC and I managed to turn 26 seconds of screen time into a 50-minute interview about comics, Apple stores, our feelings on our specific Target stores in our neighborhoods, and many other things. And you know what? I think that'll suffice for an episode. That'll do, pig. It's the longest interview segment yet, I think. And on that merit alone, enjoy. The film. 
Captain America, The Winter Soldier, The Year, 2014, The Role, Aaron, The Apple Employee, The Actor, D.C. Pearson. D.C. Pearson, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, man. Now, uh, your character and your scene specifically in Captain America, The Winter Soldier really packs a memorable punch because I counted it. It's 26 seconds of screen time, and I think you're going to have pound for pound the most concentrated role in discussion so far on this podcast. Really? Yeah. So oh, you come neat. in and out like a Navy SEAL of comedy. Seriously. I'm th- the character in that movie that is most comparable to a Navy SEAL on all levels. <laughs> um, all right. I have... I. I am so glad that that this scene is the scene's a little bit longer, but your part is literally twenty six right. seconds, and right. I've been able to find a great assortment of questions to ask you about. Fantastic! Because oh, that's think great. You really do go. Your character somehow in twenty six seconds manages to have a full arc. I, I don't even know if you're aware of it, but I found it. Oh, thanks. That's awesome. You did like the Dan Harmon story circle of my character. Yeah, your call to action. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. Um, so you, first of all, you capture this thing that an Apple Store employee always has, which for me feels like like the passive aggressiveness of a Gap employee mixed with like the the modesty and, and cordiality or something of like a youth group church leader or something. Right. Did you... Did you go watch any Apple Store employees? How familiar? I, I, I've had a. I'm, I'm. I'm a fairly faithful Apple loyalist. I mean, I don't have an Apple tattoo or anything like that. It's like, coming. You know, I'm. You know, I'm not full on. You know. I'm not a Zionist of Apple by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, like I think the new iTunes isn't necessarily as good as the previous version of Boy, iTunes. We're like, in I'm, the not same a, boat. I'm not a zealot, I think is the word I was looking for. Not Zionist. I'm also not a Zionist either <laughs> of Apple. That would be amazing. Um, but um, are you a Shiite or a Sunni? I am uh, sort Apple. Of, that's where it's like, like it depends on from day to day. It's okay. like my Beyonce or my Sasha Fierce. You know? That's fair. Um, but I have been like, I've had an Apple laptop and an Apple like uh, iPhone for a long time. And the thing that's great about Apple, the Apple store I find in particular is they somehow make it. So I'm not, I'm, I've never had a, a ton of money in my life. I've certainly not wanted for anything, but I'm not by any stretch of the imagination, a rich person, but they somehow make you go into the Apple store, spend way more money than you'd become comfortable with under any other circumstance Mm -hmm. and walk out of there and feeling amazing. It's so true. Like part of the fun of getting a new Apple product is just going to the store. Somehow you walk out of there and you're like, I'm a different person. I'm going to be very like organized and on top of things right now. Maybe I am the kind of person that spends $550 on a phone. Um, And so I, I was... I, I'm, I guess I'm an Apple Store fan, I should say. I'm and I have exactly been for a long time. Same. Like, I have always liked how it's like you can check out anywhere in the store. You never have to go into some kind of line in front of a guy yes. that's going to want them to do like a price check on this DVD of Commando that he's trying to buy or whatever. <laughs> like, you can just, you just find a guy, you get your guy or, or your girl, and you just, you go, and it's great. So, so I, I was, um, I, I was, I guess I was drawing from that well of, of experience. I've never heard it described like that, that you, you do leave feeling good, what oh, you should normally so feel good. probably not good about. Like yeah, normally when I spend way too much money, I can literally, I, I start to have a physical sensation in my wallet. It's almost like I have a phantom, phantom money syndrome. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm suddenly physically aware sure. of the, uh, uh, the disgusting emptiness, uh, in my, in my uh, wallet, but for whatever reason, not so much. The it's episode. like they're selling digital wellness or something. You go in and you feel like you do after you get a massage or something like that. I think so. Well, there's that sort of low kind of ambient, like you feel like a Coldplay song is always starting, but it never actually gets going. You know, it's just that, that sort of like, um, you know, web 2.0 company presentation music where you just feel like maybe things are better, yeah. you know, than I thought they were. Yeah. Everything there looks And you take way. a little piece of that with you as long as you spend $600 when you're in there. And the tables look like, um, like chopping blocks or cutting boards in yes. a nice kitchen. So there's this like faint feeling of dinner's almost served. And it's <laughs> right, right, right. You're like, this is a clean workshop. <laughs> I'm a craftsman of money spending. It's never specifically said that you're at an Apple store, right? 
I just absolutely assumed. I've 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 seen. I think people have very different experiences with it. There's like a Rorschach test quality to it, where like <laughs> some people have been like, "That's very much never explicitly stated to be Apple," and other people have been like, "That's very clearly Apple product placement." Oh, man. I have literally no idea. We were shooting at an Apple store. Well, I at can the tell mall you in Tarzana. Watch the scene probably right. close to twenty times. <laughs> but I do think I always assumed like I'm sure Apple's more than cool with this. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I was never aware if there was any official Apple seal of approval. There may have just been an Apple kind of like, yeah, of course we're happy to have you. And I mean, they let them shoot in the store, obviously. So I yeah, there, they must there must have. have been some discussion. They had to be because also like, like the Bond movies are always using Sony products and that sort of thing. And then I've noticed Microsoft has stores now and they're carbon copies of the Apple stores right. the same way their computers are of the Apple computers. And it's crazy. Um, and so, then in... <laughs> And then in like uh, Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice, there's going to be a scene in a Microsoft store <laughs> with like my friend Zach Perlman from Mulaney, who also has longish hair and a beard, just being like, "Can I get you a Bing phone?" Absolutely, and that will be great, and that'll be a great day. I'll really appreciate that. <laughs> I have not yet had anybody on the show who's been in one of these modern superhero blockbusters. So, having done other work before, what do you find like what's it like on set? Does it feel different or um I well, I was I was saying before we got on mic like that I was I was simultaneously excited and ambivalent about telling the story of my involvement mostly because like as a listener like there isn't any like point of friction in this story. Like nice. literally none. And and that's not just me sort of trying to be nice and like I don't want to alienate anybody so I'm only going to say nice things about people. There was no point at which it was anything but awesome. And I mean that I'm, I'm not just trying to sound like a generally positive, you know, no haters style person. I'm, I really do. Uh, that was my feeling. I love that. I think yeah, that's my, to hear. Well, my, my, my agent at the time, Diane McGonigal, who has since become a manager, like she called me and was like, Hey, I can't like, you're not allowed to tell anyone, but would you want to be in Captain America 2? Because it had been announced that the Russo brothers were doing it. And the Russo brothers are these um, two directors who they, like, directed, like, the pilot of Arrested Development. They directed the pilot of Community and many and episodes of Community. Episodes, exactly. Right? The um, yeah, I think so. Well, I think they uh, – one of the painful episodes. Um, and they um, they had seen our – my sketch comedy group, Derek, made a movie called Mystery Team that was at Sundance. And they were at Sundance that year because they're kind of like Sundance alumni, like their one of their first movies, Welcome to Collinwood, went to Sundance. And so they kind of are just, you know, they've they've been there and they've had a movie at Sundance. And so they sort of, I think, like, you know, appreciate whatever the experience. Um, they really liked Mystery Team. I think they they really liked our group. They ended up um, – they saw that movie and were like, oh, that was kind of how they ended up bringing Donald in to audition for – the part of Troy in community. Uh Um, And so ever since then, like, and then they sort of took Dan Ekman who directed mystery team and who I'm now like uh, screenwriting partners with um, under their wing. And he started sort of, um, you know, shadowing them on community and then ultimately like, you know, sort of under their tutelage, kind of learn more about TV directing. He ended up directing an episode of community. Um, And then they continually would have myself, Maggie, who's my other screenwriting partner now, and um, uh, Dominic Durkis, another guy who in the group, Derek, like be on the show in just like random parts. So like a good deal of the sort of world of Greendale is just us randomly occasionally, which was like super fun um, and super low maintenance. Like we basically were glorified. We were like glorified extras. Like we were like extras that also got chairs because we knew the director. You were like expanded universe community. Expanded people. universe. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like if there's ever a, you know, emergency of reality community game. You can go talk to <laughs> oh, my can character there is. and he can, he'll probably have like three lines. Oh yeah. Um, and he has like an entry on the like community Wikipedia or I, whatever that someone has exhaustively, exhaustively I'm researched. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so they were, it was announced they were doing Captain America too. Um, and they, and so she was like, do you want to go do it? The Russo brothers are directing it. And they like asked for you and it was just, you can't say yes that's, fast enough. That's the best kind of audition. 
that you don't. Well, even have that's to the thing is that there. I mean, like I have definitely gotten cool things as an actor via auditions, but I feel like, and this is the kind of thing where, like, you want to be like, there is no nepotism in Hollywood, or you want to be like there, and, and 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 or or you want to you if if a system has benefited you in some way, you never want to be like it's anything but a total meritocracy <laughs> where me and other warriors of skill are battling one another, you know, in an arena of taste or whatever. But the cool, some of the coolest things have happened to me have been friends of mine being like, you should come do this cool thing I get to do. You should also be in it. Um, and, and so that is the kind of sort of like benevolent nepotism that I have experienced that has been really awesome. But you would like to think like if you got an opportunity to do something cool, you would hopefully want to bring other cool people that you know along with you to sort of fill it out. And so that's kind of what they were doing. And I, I super appreciated it. I had no idea what my part was. I was not sent any kind of script. Until they were what like, point? they were like, well, until they were like the name of the movie, as far as you're concerned, is Freezer Burn. I I read that in my research. That's what they shot. So on. that was their Freezer like burn. their like play on Captain America, I think, because obviously oh, he was like frozen. unfrozen. Yeah. But they were like, we're gonna <laughs> act like it's kind of a like horror movie, basically that's like secretly shooting, and it's actually secretly Captain America too. Um, so on any signs you would see on the street where it was shooting, it would just be like Freezer Burn, Freezer Burn. Um, and so they, it, well, it was the kind of thing that also too, because it happened so fast, you're convinced if you're sort of a, I don't want to say cynical person, but like me, but a person who actively tries to keep their expectations low, yeah. that it's also going to evaporate just as quickly. So it sort of didn't hear anything about it for a while. And then a couple, I think maybe even a couple months went by and they were like, come do a fitting. So I drove out to this like super, basically like you drove to shield. I drove to Shield. No, I drove to um, in like Torrance. There was a like giant like warehouse um, where it was just sort of in an anonymous office park. And I parked at like a dress store and walked across the anonymous office park. And it was inside this warehouse was under tons of like even within the warehouse itself every department was kind of disguised from every other department. So like you could walk into the department where you couldn't see anything. Like you couldn't see a great big like ship or something. It was just like a bunch of um, chain link fences and then just like tarps over the other side of the chain link fence. So you couldn't just walking in, like see a bunch of, a bunch of like Captain America stuff. Hollywood area 51. Yeah. It was super cool feeling, especially because I had no idea what I was going to go be. So I'm lucky that I didn't show up and they were like, you're going to play the naked barbarian (laughs) or something. Cause then I just would have had to be like, I mean, yes, of course, obviously. Um, so they take me in and it's like, this is a fitting. And so I go into the little fitting area and there you start to see like, okay, there's, collateral here that reminds me of the kind of Marvel universe. Like there's, there's outfits and SWAT team things that are clearly like shield esque. There's like scientist uniforms. There's like all these different things on hangers. And the woman was like, and here's your outfit. And she goes and pulls out what's pretty obviously sort of an Apple employee garb. Uh Um, And I think she even maybe confirmed for me like, yeah, you're an Apple employee. So I put that on. And so I was like, okay, I know I'm that, but then I didn't see, still see any kind of sides or anything until I showed up even I think maybe like a month later to do the part. That was when I found out like you're an Apple store employee. Here are your sides. I believe they maybe, I think they maybe took them from me at the end of the day. They gave Um, them to you that day. They gave them to me that day. Yeah. I did not get a script ever. So I had no idea what the context was of the thing in the movie. I just knew like in this scene, you are talking to Captain America and the black widow, but they're like undercover and they're at an Apple store and you're an annoying Apple employee. But I knew nothing on any side of that other than like they're on the run. Okay. They're they're undercover. You'll blow their cover. And that's kind of what it's playing on in the scene is he thinks I see that he's Captain America, yeah. but I'm actually just really into the glasses that he's wearing. And those eyes behind the glasses. <sighs> yeah. Well, so I have to ask you then, leading up, you know you're in the film, but you don't know what you're playing. Did you let your brain fantasize at all? I know you're like, you wanted to keep it safe and you didn't want to get hurt in case, in case you got kicked off. Precisely, but, precisely. But in your wildest imagination, were you like, I'm this kind of hero, I'm this kind of villain, I'm a scientist? Well, I knew it was, well, I, I knew that it was pretty small in scope because they weren't like, you're doing it for your three weeks on the Captain America movie. It's like, this is a small, it's like, you knew it's a small part and you knew it's like a day. Uh-huh. You're like an over an evening. It was a night shoot. Um, so, you know, it can only be so big. I was, I think I was kind of figure. I, I, I think maybe I even knew it was a speaking part. I don't know, but I, I knew very little going into it, but I, I was pretty sure like it will probably be some sort of like small comic relief part yeah. or literally just a guy at a counter being like, 
hey, uh, you know, order up or something like that. Yeah, but there had to be a reason why this guy called on you, you know, that or the brothers did because they knew <laughs> your humor. I think so. I mean, it was it was really cool. That was the neat thing about eventually getting to be on set is like what was the tone on set, and it was weirdly super mellow. Like it was weirdly very similar to your friend called you and was like, come be in my, you know, internet short and just like be funny and so kind of like play like around with it. Mellow, low key, not like opium den. No, no, no. It wasn't like opium den mellow. Yeah, I mean, we chill. were in the store in, in, in like the mall, excuse me, in the middle of the night with like a lot of security. So people wouldn't like wander through and like take pictures and stuff. But the actual sort of, I guess, like our creative environment on set was very, incredibly laid back given that you would think in such a sort of high stakes, high money, you know, top secret environment, it would be very like, okay, then you get there, you say exactly this, you hit exactly this mark because a thing's going to blow up behind you or what you assume it's going to be very regimented. And I think, and this is probably why the Russos got hired to do Captain America too. And, and, and have sort of become this like super hot property in terms of like making these big action things that also have something else going on, i.e. they're funny or they're interesting is that they can really bring the chops when it comes to like action and stuff like that. But they also have the ability to create an environment where people feel comfortable kind of being funny or playing around or being natural. And like that ability to bring naturalism to that kind of heightened world, I think is, is sort of what makes there, it was, makes it kind of quintessentially Marvel. E. Yeah. And that I think comes through make them the desired. Screen, so it was, even though it was like, you're, you know, you're kind of in the middle of this action scene. Cause I know they're like running from something. You, you, the feeling was mostly just like, you can just play around. Here's the script, but you don't, you shouldn't feel the need to stick wholly to it. Just like sort of get the beats or the intentions of it. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was super cool. That's like what, I said, that sounds fantastic. Now you must've done a little improvising if they're allowing you to do that. And how were Chris Evans and Scarlett Scarjo, I believe we're calling her these days. Uh, did they like to play or were they just taking it off you or, um, yeah, they were super cool. I mean, like they were definitely, um, like, I think that's one of the cool things about the environment that the Russo brothers create is that it's just like, we all, we sort of know what this little page long scene is and they know the, to the letter, their sort of marvely stuff that they have to get across, <laughs> i.e. like the bases in New Jersey and yeah. shield encrypted the whatever, like they knew all the techno jargon to get that part of it out. And then other than that, it was just kind of like your whole job is to annoy them and their whole job is to react to you. And they were, I thought super funny and awesome and, and open to that. And they were, again, there's no friction in the story. <laughs> Incredibly nice. Chris Evans was super duper nice. And Scarlett Johansson, who, you know, I had, was one of my like quintessential kind of like, teenage movie snob crushes because sure. she's in like, you know, she sort of, in, I was introduced to her in Ghost World. Yeah, yeah. And then I even went to see Eight-Legged Freaks, <sighs> which I actually very much enjoyed. And I thought she was great in when I was in high school because I really, really liked her. And then, so to be there and be like, Scarlett Johansson and I are kind of doing bits between takes. Contemporary. You know, just, so, yeah, exactly. Like to have that experience, like that is beyond anything that you could ever hope for is like, we're kind of, kind of chuckling around. You know what I mean? Like, did you let her know any of this past? Uh, no, no, yeah, definitely not. Smart. Yeah, definitely not. I definitely did want to create as friction free of an sure. interaction uh, with both of them as, as possible. <laughs> Cause they obviously have a much bigger burden on their shoulders than I just get to show up and be like, Oh, I get to like, play an annoying employee, which is most of what I do in most things I'm ever in, is like, play the annoying employee that's kind of making someone's life difficult. Yeah, your bartender, the vodka commercials, yes. right? Similar thing. Yeah. yeah, which is also the Russo brothers. Oh, Before okay, the movie sense. came out, they ended up, they were like, oh, oh you should yeah. come audition for this. And, and it was a similar thing. That makes sense. Um, and they will, like, in a, with improv inside a give and take, like, they'll keep the camera rolling and just kind of be like, um, from behind the monitor, just kind of shout like, uh... Like they like to say, like dig out things like they're they're. I, I think they sort of it seems like they think of a scene as almost like it's like this big. I don't know how to even describe it, like almost like it's a cake or it's something that we're like removing pieces of until we have the whole thing. Oh, the so marble the, sculpture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like a marble. Yeah. Sc so, so they're looking at it going like, we'll dig this out. We'll dig that out. Like that's how they describe like shots 
when they're talking to the DP about like how they want to set up a given scene or how they want to order the day. And then even when they're behind the monitor directing actors, it'll be like, uh, dig out that, that thing, uh, you know, about like, you know, dig out the whatever. And then like, and, and it's just about like whatever the beats are. And they're going like, oh, that thing you said before, like dig out one of those and then just like do a series of those. And then we're done. They use that that much. It's like yeah, well, it's, jazz it's, lingo. Yeah, it's, it's neat. Wow. I don't know. It's kind of proprietary. I don't know because they're brothers. <laughs> if it's like some, you know, Psychic. language that yeah. they've developed or, or whatever. Language. But, but I do think that the feeling that it gives you or it gives me anyway as a performer, I'm, I don't know if you can tell, not hyper method. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, <laughs> so, so just having somebody be like, or also too, I guess to, to put it in maybe more, um, uh, self-congratulatory terms since I have been on the other side of things and been somebody that's trying to make something, you realize that you're like, we're here trying to sort of acquire information Mm -hmm. or we're here to acquire things that we're then going to sculpt later or whatever. And so having somebody letting you know, like what's sort of the list of things that they want or they want to explore right now that you can then hopefully give them in some capacity that gives them the best ammunition that they can to then make you hopefully be good in a scene yeah. is, uh, is, is, is it definitely helped me. I think maybe there's some people for whom it would be like, you have to address me. I'm actually Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart right now. You know what I mean? I don't want to think about right. what you need in the edit, but I do think that for, and I'm sure they sort of adjust that depending on the performer. But for me, it's like, I don't know. I, it, it allowed me to feel less like this is a giant, super important movie that you could totally fuck up right now and be fired if you wanted to and be thrown over the mall balcony in Tarzana by Chris Evans. But it, I don't know. It was, it, it was, uh, it, 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 it it, 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 for me, made it super uh, – as comfortable as that sort of situation could possibly be. That's nice to hear too because your character is a little bit of an interloper. He's a meddler, right? Like he comes in under the guise of let me help you. But immediately – I love this. Immediately your eyes shift to the screen and to see what they're doing. And you're just – you can't help but be this nosy son of a bitch. And it's, it's really worth Googling this scene because that is in your first shot. And you come in and in an instant you go from friendly to how can I kind of be part of these people's lives? <laughs> uh, I really do think you pack so much in this little scene. The other thing, too, is when you're saying it's Aaron, right? Or is yeah, it, Aaron. Because okay, I couldn't tell if it was Eric or Aaron. And you say, I've been Aaron <laughs> after calling him a specimen. <laughs> I've been Aaron has this feeling like I'm going to leave you now. I understand you don't want me here, but – Remember me. Right. <laughs> like, keep me in your heart. Well, I do feel as though I've sort of like I have a, a multitude of feelings about Chris Evans in that moment, which is basically like, like I am probably like somewhat attracted to him. I'm somewhat I just want to be him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she jokingly compared like you guys are like twins or yeah. like brothers or whatever. And then I partially want to like shrug that off, but then also partially want sure. to fully integrate it into yeah. my self-image. Um, uh, is, I don't know that it was, it, you got to be annoying, but also feel like you were a character, which is fun. It wasn't just like be funny and go. It was like, all you have to do is be annoying, but like you can build anything out around that, that you sort of want to. (laughs) How many times would you say you shot the scene? Was it a... Not a ton. I mean, like I was there for, it was a night shoot, but I was there for like the first half of the shooting day. That quick. Yeah. So, um, where was it geographically? It was in Tarzana at the mall, um, whatever the mall is around there. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I just got to like, it was, you know, six or something like that and got to go and get on the 101 and just drive all the way out and then like be there, sort of like approach in a very like, I'm supposed to be here kind of way because you don't, know how to articulate that to somebody. You know what I mean? Like, I know I, I'm in a crappy Jetta, but I'm supposed to go be in a And you never know exactly movie. who to talk to when you enter no, that kind of thing. So no. you've got to find You the always talk to, somehow. like, the wrong yeah. person first. Yeah. Who it's you the know. security guard that actually works at the mall. And the more you can, you, the more you try to articulate, I know <laughs> that I'm bothering you right now. And I, I, can, I just know from the look on your face that you're not the person I'm supposed to go to to tell me where I'm supposed to go. Yeah. But I have no choice. Pardon me. Because I don't know who that person is. Who's yeah. spray painting clothes right now. Could you tell me where I'm going right now? 
Um, and so, yeah, so then it was inside, it was in the actual Apple store in that mall. And they did, once I was there, like I sort of got to talking to, they had a couple Apple store employees that were on set, I think just to like watch the store or oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I got to, and, and they, they got one of the Apple store employees to give me his, it's not an iPod exactly, but it's like their proprietary sort of touchscreen like checkout oh, yeah, yeah. thing that they use. It's that thing that like plugs onto their phone, yes, right? exactly. Yeah. So he like gave his to me for the duration of the scene. And I got to kind of like pepper him with questions about, you know, being an Apple store employee, sort of under the guise of like, I'm being a super good actor right now, but mostly just because I'm curious as a consumer. Yeah, I would um, too. He told me, which I also later had confirmed in the uh, Steve Jobs biography that I listened to the audiobook of that all the floors are made of like marble. That's all, all Apple stores, all of the floors are made from the, from marble from this one mountain in Italy. Cause Steve Jobs was like, that's the marble. I was listening to an Apple podcast and I was talking about, they were talking about one of the original Apple classic models and they were so happy with it that he had the designers sign their name inside the plastic mold of the casing. So no consumer would ever see them unless they dismantled their computer, but they have like 3D engravings of the designer signatures in there. It's purely for like aesthetics and knowing that they created what they think is like a visual form of art. Just totally. Looking at it. It's incredible. Yeah, it's super, it's super cool. I mean, that is kind of one of the sort of central myths of the thing that you hopefully can feel that radiates outward in the stuff that they yeah. make. To varying degrees. And you go obviously. into that Microsoft store and it's just veneer. It's just Formica. It's a <laughs> laminate. It's a creaky laminate. Look, they're going to make it look pretty good in Batman vs. Superman. They will. The justice. <laughs> you mark my words. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break and uh, we've, we've covered about 13 seconds of your 20 second, 26 <laughs> second scene. We'll be right back. So we're talking with DC Peterson from Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Are you a comic book reader yourself? Do you fall in the Marvel camp or the DC camp? I was growing up super into comics. My parents would, which is a weird um, comic book consuming thing that probably was just a function of exactly the era that it was in, would buy these like um, – comic like super PACs at like Costco, not super PACs like political action committees, but yeah, the, the, <laughs> um, the, um, the, um, so, so these like things that would just be like sort of, it, they would be like, I don't even know if they would be like strictly Marvel or strictly DC. They would be like a mix of all the comics uh, that had exactly come out like the past about. six months that would be like maybe like 12 comics. And there would be some that were like, Oh, Spider-Man Punisher. Awesome. And then there would be other ones where it would be like, you know, um, VW Bugman or, you know, whatever, like, like some lesser <laughs> like bench. And it, it was also too, it was obviously in this super hyper interconnected, you know, universe spanning event era or, or that was sort of beginning or, or continuing. And that, so you would get like just a real scattershot yeah. from all these different people's universes. Like you would never fully feel like you knew VW Bugman, but it would be like, oh, last last month when we were in Paraguay, <laughs> that was real. And then it would just like be the asterisk and then the thing that was like, see VW Bugman issue number 309. That's Ed, right. Yeah. You know? Um, <laughs> and so what it did, and then also I had, um, I was super into also very of the era, very much the era of, of collectibles, um, uh, I was super into comic cards, which were like trading cards, like baseball cards or, or, or basketball cards, but for comic book characters. Uh -huh. um, and I wasn't super into sports, even though I had a, an okay amount of basketball cards and baseball cards and stuff, just because you like collecting things and looking at them and being like, this is mine. But I had um, a ton of comic cards and they were kind of a pre-internet way to sort of connect with a like mythology. Right. Because you would be like, well, I've never, you know, I haven't read a thing that has – 
you know, um, uh, whatever, um, you know, telephone cord gal in it. But I see this card with her and her stats and it alludes to this much larger world and runs of stories and ways that she's intersected with other characters. And, and it was, um, I think what it did is kind of made me be like, I just like this like world, even if I haven't experienced a ton of what the central stories or the central myths of Uh this thing are. I was super into Spider-Man. I had a monthly subscription to Spider-Man. And then I had that up until which 90s comic fans will immediately recognize and have a um, stronger than my and probably more well-researched than my opinion on that they'll immediately tell me about on Twitter. Um, The Clone (laughs) Saga where this guy came back and revealed like, you're not actually Peter Parker. I'm Peter Parker. Peace. And then... It was sort of a long running thing. It's like, is this true? Is this not true? How can this be true? Because if it's true, then Peter Parker has to leave his happy life with Mary Jane and go off into the sunset. And also the the imposter Spider-Man or supposed imposter Spider-Man had like a mullet. Oh, um, well, there's your first sign. Exactly. Um, and like a bomber jacket, I feel like, although I might be uh, putting that back in um, retroactively, judging by my like feelings on it. You'll hear on Twitter. <laughs> I'm sure I will. And... And I and so it was found to be true. It was found to be this Peter Parker was, in fact, a clone and he had to go. I think Ben Riley was the name of the guy that was coming back and saying, I'm really Peter Parker. Ben Riley was actually Peter Parker. And, and, and what I had known to be Peter Parker just had to go off into the sunset. Was Kung this Fu style. Like one of their what if reboots? No, nope. this, this, this is was can, this was canon. And so I was just sort of in disbelief for for a month or two afterwards. And then I sort of it I kind of put me off. Now. It kind of put me off comics for a little while. And it wasn't until late high school, early college when I started getting back into them. Um, and it, it, but, um, and then with like the Marvel movies and stuff like that, like once or, or, or the, you know, Batman begins and in, in the dark Knight. I think along with the rest of the culture, you know, sort of reinvested yeah. in them in a, in a larger way. Um, I was big into comic books in, I guess the eighties, probably when uh, June, my junior high era. And I remember never gravitating towards Captain America because he always kind of was that goody goody guy and I always thought how are they going to make a movie out of this because I remember the failed attempts right. and I watched those for different reasons and I loved them but they really pulled it off pretty well you know they in context with the universe yeah like well first of all I mean thinking about that first one and how ballsy that well like you think about where they were when they sort of started like the sort of Disney Marvel cinematic universe and where it was like, oh, but X-Men, we already sort of farmed out. Spider-Man, we farmed out these like central figures to our universe. We The only people we have are people that comic book fans love, but that this, the public at large isn't as intimately familiar with. And if they are, it's like, is, it doesn't Thor look like, isn't that the guy that looks like he was in, you know, Winger or whatever? <laughs> like, um, yeah. like people aren't as familiar with them <laughs> on a, I know that dude to be awesome definitively level the way they are with Spider-Man, uh, it's, uh, X-Men, etc. And so to sort of introduce those characters one by one in ways that would make you go like, I really see how that guy fits into this larger world. We're teasing this larger world in a really cool way. Um, Plus to make it a period piece. Dude, the period piece is so cool. Like the feel of it is super cool. And the like the the way that they, yeah, just the, play, the way they play with the era. It's so great. And then just to, just to bring him then into our, you know, our actual, you know, he gets like unfrozen. Um, it's really neat. And I do think it's something that a lot of other people and film companies and whatever will try to imitate with, with various degrees of success for a long, long time. And, and some of them I think will be great. And maybe some, some not so just the way everything that inspires a lot of stuff, the way it sort of ripples outward like that. Um, but I was legitimately a huge fan of these movies in particular. And the idea that like the Russo brothers are going to do the sequel, it's, I don't know much about it, but I know that the idea of the arc is that it's kind of, you know, Captain America meets a sort of paranoid 70s spy thriller, which I feel like was a pitch that they definitely completely like paid off in the. And how they got away with that, too, because that's one of my favorite genres of movies. All the President's Men. Right. Three Days of the Condor. Yeah. I love these. And then I love the little nods to them. And the big nod by putting Robert Redford in is is amazing. And then lingering on Watergate and some of the establishing shots and stuff. Well, I was talking with with, um, Dan and with Ekman and and, and Meggie today, actually, about like like how those sort of paranoid thrillers, even though 
by all rights, they should be like the most popular form of media right now because we live in a yes. world that's just steeped. And like we're sitting here starting the whole thing. I would be like Apple products, Apple products, Apple products. And then also to Obama could very well be like listening into our podcast special preview of, you know, I was there, too, on my phone that's sitting on the table. He's a big like, listener. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, he loves Wolf Pop. Big Wolf <laughs> Pop guy. Earwolf, not so much. Wolf Pop, definitively. He's I will tell it. you this. One of the Wolf Pop shows is him. He just has to do it under a code name. It's incredible. You're, you're heavy, free to guess. Heavy yeah. voice modulation. Yeah. It's on um, FG. But so those should be so popular. But I think it's almost too much uh -huh. a reality right now that in a lot of ways, that's sort of maybe not what people want to see when they go to, to the movies. But yeah. they... But to make this movie and to allow people to, which I think was what made it partially so popular and so I think critically well received, besides the fact that it's a really good movie, was that we're able to kind of process it via this cartoon character. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's so um, aggressively sort of like goes there and is a critique of so many of the things that are going on right now while also featuring, you know, dudes kicking each other in the face. Jumping out of planes yeah, exactly. without parachutes. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So – you you film your part. Yes. Do you go to the premiere? How do you see it? What's they did they not release your scene as like a promotional? They clip? did not, to my knowledge. Because I remember seeing your scene before the movie somehow, and I don't know what context that was in. But. Maybe I don't know if it was a I don't know if it was ever a clip on something, or I don't know if it was released beforehand. I, if it was, I never. Excuse me. Heard about it. So you saw it in theaters. I so went, I didn't, I wasn't, there was no like premiere. There was no anything. I mean, there was a premiere. Um, but um, yeah, so I saw it in theaters with people. And I, again, to, to like bring it back to my, I don't want to call it cynical determination to keep my expectations well, very skeptical. low. That way I won't be, yeah, somewhat, somewhat, I would say a somewhat healthy and sometimes verging on unhealthy skepticism <laughs> that I'm going to actually end up in cautious optimism. There you go. Um, cautious optimism, man. Um, <laughs> with telephone cord with telephone gal. Cord gal uh, see issue 307 of what is this exactly? <laughs> um but I really didn't tell anyone in my life that I was in it. I told Dan and Maggie. I told my girlfriend, Haley. I told um, – I didn't tell anyone in my family or my friends. Because, oh like, uh, earlier uh, in, in my career, I had had, like, a – I got to do, like, a small part on 30 Rock. And I was super excited. And I, I really tried not to tell anybody. But, like, the week beforehand, I was like, I want my family to see me on 30 Rock. This is going to be great. And so I told them a few days before it was going to happen. And then my manager called and he was like, hey, it didn't, it didn't happen. They, oh. they ended up having to cut you out, which I, I'm super grateful for the fact that they communicated that to my manager who was able to tell me that was really, really big because then I did get to tell my family, like, hey, I'm not going to be on. Don't watch. But it did sting yeah, a little of bit. Course. Um, and uh, so there was a certain amount of, like, you know, super cautious optimism. So I do get to go see it in the theater, but I'm aware – pretty definitively that I'm going to be in it because a couple weeks beforehand, some like film bloggers and people had seen like the movie, like at critics screening. So they would have to really have something cataclysmic happen, or I would have to do something so horrific in the public eye that I would even become known yeah, yeah. and, and then get cut out of the movie. I don't know, like go on some weird, you know, open rant where I'm like, Captain America loves gays or something. And I don't, or something, you know, publicly, which let's be honest. Yeah. Um, that's why we're here. That's really why we're here. That's our agenda. Um, uh, so I went to see it and, and was like, knew I was going to be in it. Still a little nervous seeing it opening night at sure. the Arclight in Pasadena. Um, and then my experience of actually watching the movie was just like, like I knew it was going to be good because it's a Captain America movie. It's a Marvel movie. It's the Russo brothers. But having this experience of being like, oh, this is like really good. This is like, I really like these movies. This is like a really good one of these movies. Like I thought the action was really cool. I think the car chase with Samuel L. Jackson, where he sort of like disappears through yeah. the street yeah. or whatever. Like I think the scene where he just sort of shows up, you know, in an apartment and like they can't talk and it's super, you know, spy movie. Um, I like really enjoyed all of it. I had no idea where I was in terms of the runtime of the movie. Um, and then it happened and it did like get laughs in the theater, which was fun. And it was, it was, it was really exciting. And then the rest of the movie Played out. I really you, you enjoyed left it. left right after. Left right after. Yeah, sure. Yeah, there was no um, – I wasn't looking for it, but I was, like, thinking there would be at least one person going, like, you were just 
the oh, forty yeah. foot man yeah. on screen. Yeah, <laughs> you are just much bigger than and, you are right now. And people do not with the same that, lack right? of haircut and lack lack of beard grooming. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, there was no no no. Uh, I was not carried out on anyone's shoulders. For he's a jolly good fellow was not saying, but it was kind of a cool feeling to just be like, and I'm still a person in the world. I still have a <laughs> shitty car. You know, it was like, it was kind of an, uh, it was a neat feeling to be like, and then for the rest of the movies run, like getting to see it on like the marquee of the Vista, like the beautiful movie theater and those feelers that yes, I love, or, yeah. or just even like on the Monday afterwards, them being like, and it made m- gajillions of dollars. Like the idea that an enterprise that I was in any way involved in a sliver of, you know, that it was like, this is just more giant than most companies. In no just small happened. part due to DC. <laughs> yeah. In large, we can say it in large, if yes. not full part. Due to, due to my 26 second scene where I was an annoying <laughs> computer man. Um, but so that was a, that was a really neat feeling. The idea of like, and I'm still a, just a person in the world. And I'm a part of this sort of like giant ethereal, you know, cultural thing that is, is sort of currently occurring was, was really neat. Um, and, and then just people seeing it and, and at replying me on Twitter and stuff was, was obviously fun. My family went to see it. That was, that was cool. My friend, um, I can't remember who it was. I think it was my, uh, my friends, John Gabris and, and Ben Rogers, like texted me like they were in Arizona doing like a touring, like comedy gig and which is where I'm from. And they were like, just in, a, they went to see it just to kill an afternoon and they didn't know I was in it. And then Gabris texted me from the theater, like, dude, you're fucking Captain America. That's awesome. We had no idea. Like we're in Arizona dude, right now. Fucking, we're having like a DC weekend. Captain America. I'm, dude, you're fucking Captain America, <laughs> which Arizona got a, a very specific cut yeah, of that movie. Like it. uh, it's it's a different. It's sort of like when <laughs> places will release like a test marketing, like KFC is trying something new and weird, and like tertiary markets. It's like that. Uh, so uh, you know, and and then it just sort of continued to be to be cool um, from there. And then like so, sort of like the movie been out for a few months, um, and then I was in. I think like the coolest interaction that I had with anyone based off of it was. Besides just getting to think like, I'll bet you Robert Redford and Samuel L. Jackson went to the premiere and actually pointed their faces at the screen and thus saw me in the very same movie they as them. They process was, you visually, orally. I was processed and visually consciously by Robert Redford you were, and Samuel L. Jackson. You were penetrated visually, mentally. And in Arizona, fully. Absolutely. So I'm on a plane tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was in the – I was at the Eagle Rock Target – um, I think buying like tape or I, something. That's my target. Great target. It is. I'm Highly closer to the target. Glendale one, but I go to that one because you can get in and out a lot easier than that. And I find Glendale that the target. Eagle, because well, it has two floors and oftentimes two floors worth of, of cashiers. Mm-hmm. And I find that they have the better front of target popcorn smell that most, tar- most if not all targets feature. At the Eagle Rock one, you really get that classic target I'm checking out. That's the first thing. I don't I'm need this gum, but I'm buying it sent. Yeah, check it out. Oh my god. Um the front of the target smells like popcorn. People at reply me if you agree. That Peter Parker A should have was the real Peter Parker and B, the front of the target smells heavily of popcorn. <laughs> um so, so I was at the Eagle Rock Target and I was just walking down the aisle and this little kid like runs around the aisle. And like runs up and like skids in front of me almost. And he's like super out of breath. And probably like an eight-year-old kid. He's like, did you play on Captain America? And I had to take a second to process it. And I was like, yeah, I did. And I like held up my hand for a high five. And he high fived me. And then he ran away <laughs> and there was no further interaction. But the fact that he had like clearly probably asked his mom, can I go run and talk to that dude. Wait, Jimmy, we've talked about you running and talking to beard, bearded men. <laughs> and he this was like, the- no, but this one, I really feel a connection here. And she was like, that was totally the wrong thing to say. <laughs> um, and that he then like ran all the way across Target so much so that he was out of breath. And then was just like, just wanted to confirm it. And then it was confirmed. And then he was gone. Oh, it was like, great. God. And it was neat because it was just like, I don't know, like it was uh, you – you do think if you are like in a sort of like trying to be in the entertainment business bubble about like how cool would it be that my friends see me in this big movie and they'll be like, oh, that dude's really fucking that's awesome that he, he did that or whatever. Or you'll like someone will see this and be regretful that they denied me some sort of professional opportunity because <laughs> they'll be like, now he's playing an annoying guy in a little in a, like a movie that his friends asked him to do. 
Um, but you don't think of as much, I don't think, like the fact that a big part of who's going to process this movie on the level that it should be processed on is like, you know, children America's 8 to future. 13. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And the fact that they're going to be like, oh, yeah. Oh, you. you 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 played on Captain America. I, I know, can't remember I, who said, "Did you play on Captain America?" Or I think he, there's a really good chance that he might have said, "Did you come on Captain America?" <laughs> As if to say, "I saw it in Arizona." You know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Do you? And ever, I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> Do you ever get? Recognized when you go in an Apple store? Is like you're you're now their like Dude, Legion commander. Matt, that's the th- I, I didn't walk out of that arc light and feel entitled to anyone recognizing me. If anything, I was a little like that might feel sort of weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to particularly handle that or felt like I should be or want to be recognized in any other situation. But I've been to an Apple store several times <laughs> since the release of this movie that has been out for almost a year now. <laughs> and I have been I've looked very much the way I look in the film, uh-huh. largely because it's a neglect based way I can look <laughs> that people seem to want to cast me for. Not nothing. Come on, I've Apple. been close. I've I've met. I have been at the Genius Bar while a dude is like trying to work on my computer's hard drive, but also teaching a whole panel of Genius Bar trainees. So we're talking six, seven, sure. eight Apple employees at a time, all up in dude's face. And yet, have I been offered a free Thunderbolt? Seven inch cord? No, I have not. A great That's, crime. That is the place where I feel entitled to be carried around the store and given lots of free shit. As well, you largely because be. of the lots of free shit part. Yeah. So if any Apple employees are listening to this, both hook us both up. Hook us. Yeah. And me, Sam. Matt Sam's Gorley, in the room. Sam's too. in the room. Engineer yeah. Sam. Yeah. Oh my god! Look at how old his computer is. He could really use a new one. I mean, we have at least five or six Apple products in this room. I'm not right going to engineer Sam. I'm not going to tell him that you have a Samsung uh, tablet. Good. I'm. Honestly, still upset thinking about that Clone Saga thing. Oh, yeah. About that Ben Riley thing. He was the Scarlet <gasps> yeah, Spider. Yeah, you guys couldn't see it at home, but um, Sam had such a visceral reaction oh, when I was talking about the Clone Saga. Line. And some of you out there are <laughs> so as well. Bad. And I just want to tell you, you're not alone. This is our... We were molested by the Catholic yeah. priests it in the Boston better. area. Like yeah. we're going to form these support groups where we haven't really felt comfortable talking about this. And he was one, and then he was Scarlet Spider. Was that right? I believe the so. Had, oh, yes. so bad. <laughs> and Scarlet Spider basically was sort of dressed like Dancing in the Dark era Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, yeah, like he, he had, had a, kind of a cutoff. And yeah, then a, like a sleeveless, sleeveless shirt. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, a couple of nerds have hijacked my podcast. <laughs> right now, so, uh, hey, let's talk about what you're up to right now. So not only have you written two books, right? Yes. Crap Kingdom. Crap Kingdom. The boy Who Couldn't Sleep yes. and Never Had To. Yes. You're in the midst of turning that into a possible film, is that correct? Yes, I'm trying to make uh, Boy Couldn't Sleep and Never Had To into a feature film uh, that I co-wrote a screenplay um, to with um, Dan Ekman and Maggie McFadden, who I mentioned earlier. And uh, Dan will direct the the film. Um, And we made a proof of concept short that we put online recently, which, excuse me, uh, we're super proud of, and people can see at uh, who couldn't sleep dot com. Who, great. as in, who are you? Who 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 who, 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 who <laughs> couldn't sleep dot com? Uh, check it out; it's five minutes, and if you like it, tweet about it. Tell your friends because uh, people sort of supporting it and being excited about it will help us show that there is interest out there in a, a larger uh, uh, version of it. And the short stars Zero from uh, yes, Grand Budapest stars Hotel. Tony Revolori, uh, who played Zero in Grand Budapest Hotel, and a Quaid boy, and Jack Quaid, yes, who is in um, the Hunger Games and will be in I think the upcoming Martin Scorsese, Terrence Winter HBO show, which is super cool. They're both very wonderful. Thank you for so much for joining. Thanks for me. being here, Matt. I really enjoyed doing the the podcast, and I I enjoy being in the movie. I, I was thinking about it on the way over and the thing that I wanted to say because I thought it sounded nice but I didn't end up being able to fit in anywhere else was that part of what I really liked about getting to be in this thing and that I do think makes me feel better about trying to do the things I am trying to do is like it really did feel not wholly unlike doing stuff that I 
did like when I was in college and doing comedy for with fun. my friends, like showing up, you just get to do a couple takes. You get to kind of play around with it. You're, there is a sort of goofing around element to it. Yeah. And the fact that like, I do think that like you get to do that when you're sort of setting out and it's beautiful and awesome. And then you strive so mightily to recapture that. And there's this giant circle of struggle and compromise and Despair. stuff that goes all the way around that gets further and further and further from that. And then it seems like if these Marvel movies are to be believed or the environment that I experience is to be believed, you do hopefully get to kind of come all the way around again where there's enough sort of creative and and, and sort of hopefully fiscal firepower behind you that you do kind of be like, I'm blocking all that out for a second and I'm just here with my friends and we get to make something cool that's funny that people will like. That's awesome. There's got to be one of those Marvel franchises that's bad to work on. I bet you it's Thor. Right. I think I feel like that's a lot of British people sitting around and sort of swapping old stories of like the Royal Shakespeare Company. Oh, that right. That's pretty good. Too. It sounds great. Let's it sounds great in a totally yacht. different way. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'll see. I'll see you there. With I'll bring Branna. <laughs> oh, Hashtag please. IBB. I'll please. bring Branna. I'll bring Helen Mirren. Thank you, DC. Thank you, sir. Well, we did it. It's that simple. Thanks to my guest, DC Pearson. If you can connect me to anyone, that would be a good idea and a good fit for this program. Email me at IWasThere2Pod at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at MattGorley at Twitter.com. If you want to do the big three, you can find me on Instagram at MattGorley.com. Only because every day these episodes come out, I put up a little picture about it. And then a bunch of pictures of my fat-ass cat. And now on to the meat of the matter. I'm going to end this show with a segment where I play a teaser from the new Spontaneation podcast with Paul F. Tompkins. He was the first guest on this podcast. He's certainly the most trusted name in podcasting. And his show is out today. I've not only heard it, I've been on it. And that's just me saying I can vouch for the quality of this top-notch podcast. As everything Paul F. Tompkins does. You gain nothing by losing your head by not downloading this podcast. You know what I mean, listeners of the first episode. Where my I was there two heads at. Check it out. It's called Spontanea Nation, wherever fine podcasts are sold. Here's a teaser. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time. Hello, everyone. My name is Paul F. Tompkins. I like to think it's a name you can trust from various Earwolf podcasts. Did I finish saying the word podcasts correctly? Oh, it's like ghosts. Scary. Can you imagine the ghost of a word? <laughs> okay, this is a promo that got off track immediately. I am here with my good pal Eben Schletter on the piano to tell you about a new podcast right here on Earwolf hosted by me. That's right. It finally happened. It was destined to. Scripture foretold it in the book of Leviteronomy. It is called Spontanea Nation. It is an improv-based podcast, which means I'm doing the opposite of what I've always done, which is do something extremely produced that takes a long time and a lot of anguish. And I'm doing something that's all in the moment and fun with some of the best fun in the moment people around. Me and my various improviser friends will present to you an improvised story, narrative story, meaning it's one long thing as opposed to little scenes, inspired by a freeform conversation that I have with a very special guest. Listen, I think you two need to catch up, and I can't follow your conversation because my brain's not that big. So I'll go back into the kitchen and try to remember why I'm going in there. All right. Bobby, do you want to get in the dumpster with me, or...? Yeah, sure. I'm curious as to what it feels like. Well, it's dark and smelly. I saw your mom at Sam's Club the other day. Well, you saw me here, too. Hi. Oh. You've brought a gentleman home? I have, Mom. Uh-huh. You remember Bobby. We I were sure went do. out in high school. Yeah, I know How you, you doing, broke... Mrs. Sinclair? Yeah. <clears throat> oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, He's doing a sort of comical <laughs> dancing and narrating his own movements. <laughs> this is delightful. It's unprecedented. It technically does count as dancing. <laughs> oh, I'm blind and using a stick. <laughs> 
man. Now that's dance. <laughs> I'm worried that Mother might know what we're up to down here. She doesn't seem particularly concerned as long as she keeps on deballing Father that way. <laughs> but if she's not concerned, are we truly doing a good job at being a secret society? Look at us, a secret society with a pigeon in a cage. We're hardly a secret society at all. Oh, that reminds me, we got to get this pigeon out of here. <laughs> oh, she's going to be P to the O if we don't do that. <laughs> My goal is to build a contraption very large, large enough to carry me into the airless void of outer space that I might see what Savannah, Georgia looks like from its inky depths. Have you taken the class at the local university? <laughs> I took some... What? Are you quite all right, madam? You seem to be stricken by some unknown malady. You begin a sentence and you get to the end and then you sort of have a little freak out well, that I can't explain. I think it's just so hot here in Savannah, Georgia it's that I don't know my It is a, it is a mite close it here is. in Savannah, Georgia. It is. What the fuck was I saying? <laughs> it's all fun, you guys. We're just kidding around. Don't anybody get mad. And don't anybody stop believing. The original title of that song, deemed too cumbersome a lyric to keep. Second draft, not a bad idea, Journey. Now you know the rest of the story. Spontaneous Nation. It premieres April 1st. And it's not a joke. It's not an April Fool's joke. It's for real. And then we're going to be every Monday after that, right here on Earwolf. Thank you all for your kind attentions. And as always, keep your feet on the ground and your enemies closer. Pop. 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 is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.